Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and I'm on my own in Australia. Jane is back in the States. But I brought along a digital recorder, and I sat down with Kat from Book Thingo, which is an Australian romance review blog, which is awesome. And she answered a lot of my questions about what she's reading, what Australian authors she's very excited about, and what some of the differences are between Australian romance readers and North American romance readers. There are some differences. It's kind of interesting. Not the least of which is how much Australian readers pay for books. Holy crap, you guys. You would not believe the book prices. I got lightheaded in the bookstore. It was really kind of horrifying. Before we move on to the podcast, I do have words from our sponsor, Harlequin. Yay, Harlequin! Harlequin's new Christmas books have arrived. You can share the gift of romance this season. Visit harlequin.com slash christmasbooks. And yes, I'm still asking for a Harlequin Hanukkah bundle. I'll let you know if it happens. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information about the song at the end of the podcast. But for now, from Australia, here's Kat and I, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. On with the podcast. Also, I was hoping to get you drunk, so we'd have a really rowdy interview. <laughs> okay, well, if, in that case, I'll go find a drink. It was funny, on Thursday I met up with some of the girls that we were with, mm-hmm. um, um, book people as well, and I had two drinks, and I couldn't walk straight, and I was wearing heels, and I said to my husband, what has happened to me? <laughs> it's just embarrassing I'm to even admit wait, it. make it yeah. stop. Wait a minute, there's a pizza here with cr- chicken and crocodile on it. A mince patty of chicken and crocodile with gruyere and pickled artichoke. There's crocodile on a pizza. Is that a regular thing that you do in Australia? No, it's a tourist. tourist? (laughs) Because I've not heard about the crocodile cuisine of Australia. This was not something I was aware of. I was told that I had to try your beef. Yes, yes. And really good beef. And And I've also told you of really good um, rabbit dishes and duck dishes. Duck's good here, too. Um, I think that must be a Steve Irwin thing, the crocodile. Because it's totally a first thing. Because that way people can go home and say, I went to Australia and I ate crock. <laughs> because you do. Because that's what you do in Australia. You eat crocodile, apparently. I had no idea that there was crocodile. That's awesome. I should probably record my own intro. Get on that. I'm here with Kat <laughs> from Book Thingo, in case you hadn't been a guest, because there's an Australian here at the table with me. I actually just grabbed somebody off the street. <laughs> just a random Australian. It's the waitress. She's like, shut up, leave me alone. So, Kat's from Book Thingo. So I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite thing about running Book Thingo? My favorite thing about running Book Thingo is the, uh, well, I won't lie, it's the review copies, uh, which is kind of a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Uh, when we started, we didn't, we, every time we got one, it was like, amazing, we got one in the mail, who wants it? But now we just get so many that it's like, oh no, there it's are so many. embarrassment of riches. Yeah. yeah. And um, it always makes me feel a little bit responsible because if I don't read it, then I feel like I've... I've, you know, I might have missed an opportunity to discover a new author. If I read it but don't get a chance to review it, I feel like I ripped someone off by reading their book and not reviewing it. So, and books are a much more almost um, precious, appreciated commodity here because well, yeah. they're so expensive. Yeah. So the mass markets here are about twelve to fifteen, and that's already gone down from before. And with the dollar and the Australian dollar near parity, yeah, you're paying three, twice to three times as much as yeah. what we're paying. Yeah, and. For, especially for Australian authors who are locally published, usually they come out in trade size, mm-hmm. and they're about 30. So it's quite... Um, we tend to gripe about the fact that trade yeah. paperbacks are $15. Yeah, and, I know and, all and the Australians, Australians are like, like oh, what are you talking about? Shut up. 
Yeah, so the, I'm, I feel most um, responsible for the rural authors, rural um, authors who live in, uh, not in, in the cities in mm -hmm. Australia, mm -hmm. um, because uh, especially in the early days when we were, when the rural lit wasn't so popular, they would actually buy their books retail from the bookshop and send them over to us for review. So I made sure that I reviewed those because yeah. at $30 a pop, that was not cheap. Plus postage was about $6.50. So they're paying about 40 bucks just to send a book to review us. So. It's, it's a very different book, book culture I think here. so. Well, I don't know what the book culture is in the U.S., but based on what we read, I think so. Well, the thing about what's interesting to me about book culture is that if you work in publishing, books are everywhere. They become almost valueless because they're everywhere. You can get anything, especially if your house published it, it's on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. Unless it's like a super sought after book by a big author that, you know, one that's like embargoed, like the, the Nalini Singh book where she reveals who the ghost is. Ain't nobody going to see that. Nobody's is that the next book? I don't know if it's the next one or the next one after that. Because she's, she's a, that's one of my autobi series. And yeah. for those, I don't actually actively seek out spoilers or anything because I like yeah. to spend my time reading the book. So I, I reviewed a book um, a few years ago, mm -hmm. and it was the first book of a, a fantasy novel. Mm -hmm. And I really loved it. Like, I loved it so much, and they even blurbed us in the back. Isn't that so cool? first blurb, I was like, oh my god, I'm in a book, I had to show my mum. <laughs> Every time that happens, because our reviews are not very blurbable, I tend to use really big yeah. sentences. Every time it happens, I'm well, like, Well, it's oh. not even a romance, so I was really, really um, surprised. But, um, and then I was waiting and waiting for book two. Um, so I love this fantasy novel, and I was waiting and waiting for book two. And I'm thinking, surely they'll send me book two, because they blurred me in book one. And um, I finally, um, I finally threw pride out the window and sort of um, hinted to the um, to the publisher that oh, you know, if you've got review copies, can we please have? Them? And like, we don't send review copies for subsequent books; we just send review. And I'm like, actually, that's a really good idea because if you already are reading the series, you you don't need an advanced review copy because you're going to be guaranteed to be buying the next books. That's why now with um, like Nalini Singh and J.R. Ward, I'm always still surprised that people get review copies because I'm like, these people are going to buy it anyway. It's not like... So I thought, that's really interesting. Well, we've had um, review copies of book five and six. And unless someone in, our, in either I or one of my co-bloggers has read the rest of the prequels... It's hard to jump in in the middle. And some of us don't read in the middle of a series. So it's like almost guaranteed that no one's going to read that book. But yeah. I jumped but you into know, it's hard to get a Nalini Singh arc. Before when um, it used to be published just in the US mm -hmm. first, before Piatkus was publishing a British version, we couldn't get an arc of a Nalini Singh. We couldn't even, because they wouldn't ship overseas. <laughs> like, she's only in New Zealand. Please give us a book. So, yeah. But now it's a little bit better. My motto with a blog, because we're all voluntary bloggers, mm -hmm. it's an amateur blog, so... Um, there are five of us now. We started with um, two and then quickly three of us, and now there are five. And I've always said, look, um, you guys just review what you can, um, any, whenever you can. So some of us have been sitting on books for like two years, and I just, I don't have the heart to pressure anyone to review because we are doing other things as well. And so in that respect, I kind of think if we put in a little bit more effort and structure, it would be it would be a bigger blog. But then I think I don't think I don't know how it we can be a sustain lot of such a big blog. It can so be a lot of pressure. We're kind of somewhat comfortable where we are now, and there are a few other blogs um, popping up as well with their own niche. Um, um, 
and that deal with romance. So Mar- Margaret in Melbourne has a, a romance blog. Well, her blog does romance, historical and general fiction and literary as well, but she's a really, um, she's also a romance reader. So that there are quite a few of us now, That's which awesome. is good. I think there's more review blogs every year. Every yeah. year there's a, there's a number of them. And I find what happens, that what's interesting to me is the repeating cycle of the conversation of, well, who's a reviewer and who should review and yeah. what's a good review and who should be reviewing and who shouldn't be reviewing. And I'm like, it's not a conversation that you can control well, because every Australia, year there's more. In Australia, it's funny as well because some of the things that were um, very topical in Dear Author, Smart Bitches, um, in when I started reading them, I think 2002, 2003, 2004, those years, they've kind of started up in Australia because now we're getting... Um, the ebook market is taking off, so a lot of some of those things that were talked about around what's porn, what's erotica, what's romance, um, you know, what do women read, you know, should people be telling us what we should read and what we shouldn't read. So those kinds of conversations are quite big in Australia now, whereas in romance, you've kind of, you know, I've been talking about that for like five years or something. But so it still comes it. up. Yeah. It still comes up, and I think that one of the things that's really interesting about Fifty Shades is that. If you can read Fifty Shades in public, and so many people do, and and I haven't seen anyone make a comment to people about it. Like I, it, when I notice someone reading Fifty Shades, I start monitoring them to see if anyone <laughs> gives them shit. Yeah. Like I don't care. Like I mean, I admit I was alarmed to see a lady on the plane reading Fifty Shades. Yeah. She was probably about 85, 90 years old, and I was like, "You go, girl. Wow. Okay." Nobody gives people shit for it. I haven't had anyone say to anyone looking at Fifty Shades while I've been watching something derogatory yeah. about it because. Everybody knows about that book, Every, and everyone knows who someone who's read it. Probably yeah. their mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's a my mom has my mom gave me her print copies because I was I was talking to her about um, trying to read it, but I, when I read ebooks, it's a different experience for me than print. Mm-hmm. And so if, if if I'm not liking a book in ebook, I tend to be less tolerant of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in print, because it's easier for me to flick through, I find that I can get through a book. Um, that I don't quite like in print a little bit better than in really So then I was telling her, oh, I'm trying to get through Fifty Shades, but I've got them in the e-reader and I'm having such a hard time. She goes, well, I've got all three. You can have it. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> How much were they here? Um, well, I don't actually think they were that much because they had so many copies that they're available in the discount shops like Kmart. And right. I think that's the equivalent of Walmart for you guys. Well, there's Kmart and Walmart yeah. in, our, in, our, in our country. So who are you really into reading right now? Who are the authors that you're like, I want that, I want that, I want that. This is really um, awesome. What are you really excited about? Excited about or always excited about? Either. Okay, well, I'm rereading Melina Marquetta, and everybody knows I love her so, 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 so much. She's um, recently released the third of her fantasy trilogy, um, but I love her young adult slash new adult books the best. Right. And I think she has... Um, a unique contemporary Australian voice. I, I love her book. She, to me, her writing is just magical. Um, and then I've got um, I've got Mel Jean Brooks' latest, Waiting for Me to Pick Up from Galaxy Books. The Steampunk. Riveted. Who? Riveted. Is that yeah? Maybe. The Iron Seas trilogy. Yeah. Well, I've got it on auto auto order. Auto so order. yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's that one. Have you read it? It's really good. Oh, really? I read the whole thing, but holy moly, thank God for sharing. That's a big old... two of you. Yes, ma'am. So what's this? Um, That's um, sweet chili sauce and sour cream. I like Australia. (laughs) We just serve things like this. Oh, do you? 
potato comes with ketchup. <laughs> potato comes with ketchup. A rule. Don't you have those chips that come with cheese and bacon and mm-hmm. stuff? Okay. Those are those are covered fries. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. The fries with gravy and cheese on top. That's poutine. Yeah. That's Canadian. Oh, okay. Yes, because Kate told me about those, so that would make sense. I'm looking forward to the new Nalini Singh. Mm-hmm. See, one of the the downsides of um, being a blogger now is I get so many books coming my way that I've lost track of which books I'm waiting for. Like, basically, it's did it land in front of me or not? <laughs> oh, the Julianne Long. Which, <clears throat> thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. <laughs> I just got um, a hold off. I'm very excited about. She's one of my autobi authors. I love her books, and she's an author where you can start in the middle of a series. Because I started her series with what I did for a Duke, and then when and on the plane over here, I read when the, how the Marquess was was one. That's the one I started with. And oh my god, I'm on the plane. I had only slept six hours. It was <laughs> because when I got on the plane to come to Australia, I set my watch for Australian time while I was still in New Jersey, so I could start eating and resting according to the right schedule. I had sort of like a twenty hour head start. So I flew out in the afternoon, which was technically the morning, and I basically had one really long-ass day. And on the flight from L.A. to Sydney, which is about 14 hours, I only slept six. I was aiming to sleep for eight, but I only slept for six hours. And I should have been sleeping, and I couldn't stop thinking about the book. So once I woke up, I started reading it again. So I'm all huddled under a blanket. I have my neck pillow. I have my eye mask, like, on top of my forehead because I didn't take it off. And I didn't even put my glasses on. I just cranked the text size up, and I'm with my little light-up Kindle under a blanket, reading the book. And it was like I had chills, like I had goosebumps and tingles. It was this so is um, when the Marquess was born. How the Marquess was born. How the Marquess was born. Yeah. Gosh, it was just so good. Yeah. It was so perfect. And so now I have um, how the Notorious Countess Confesses on my digital reader on my Kindle. And I want to go read the rest of the series, but I don't feel like I have to read it in order. Like, I know no. Colin does something, and he gets married, and I know Ian was infamous in what I did for Duke, and he'll probably get his oh, own story. Oh, so I like Colin's book. Um, I liked what I did for Duke. Um, the rest of it, I did the wrong thing. I read it back to back. And when you do that, um, what I find is you start to notice the deficiencies in the author's writing a, li- a lot more. Yes. And so it was not a good idea. Overdose on one person's writing, you start to notice all of the flaws. Yeah. And, you, and it's like, you could be eating the most amazing food, and if you eat it straight for six hours, you're never going to want to eat it again. Yeah. Don't screw yourself up out of a good book by reading the whole series. But then sometimes when the series is really good, it's, it's hard, hard not it. to. It's no. so good. The other author I love is Jo Goodman. And oh. I don't know whether she's got a new one out, because she's only released a recent one Mm -hmm. so she's one of those ones where even when she's writing even when the book isn't as good as the rest it's still a good book and Kinsale but you know can't tell it to write any faster (laughs) well god what was the wait for the last one I know eight years and uh, to be honest that disappointed me because I was waiting I was anticipating her dark tortured characters Mm -hmm. and we got a kind of a lighter um, a lighter set of characters and it was still good but I think the anticipation kind of um, built it up to a an, to an unreasonable level. I think that readers who encounter Kinsale's backlist are like, oh, okay, because the descriptions on yeah. the backs of the book do not give you a clue as to the fact that your heart is going to be ripped out yeah. and thrown back in your face a yeah. couple of times, yeah. like six times. And so you read one and you're like, whoa. Yeah. And if that's the experience you're expecting because her books do that so consistently when you encounter one that doesn't like um, Midsummer Moon 
doesn't do that as much. There's angst and there's sadness and there's some real emotional, like, painfully emotional scenes. But it's not like, it's not like Flowers from the Storm or The Shadow and the Star where you're just, like, crushed and, yeah. and wretched when it's yeah. done, even though it was amazing, because you just go through this emotional experience reading it. The last one wasn't like that. And so if that's yeah. what you expect going in, yeah. it's totally not the same. It's funny because... Um, I had a recent um, glom of Marsha Canham's um, sort of Robin Hood-inspired medievals, mm-hmm. and um, there aren't very many medieval romances coming out now, and um, every time I've kind of mentioned it, authors have come back saying, oh, they don't really sell anymore. And my personal theory is that paranormal romance has replaced the medieval, because you get the medieval-type hero who kind of fights everyone and is really good at battle, but you don't get the hygiene issues, and you don't oh get the early death issues, totally right? Because right. they just have, they just live And they forever. clean their teeth. That's right. They clean teeth. You are totally right about that. I think you are dead on. Have you written about that? Because that is seriously a It's good one theory. of those things that I plan to write about, but... Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's in the draft folder. But um, I'm, like, disappointed because I think it's, a, it's an interesting time to write about. You have, the author has to be careful because you can't feel as though they'll sort of die tomorrow because they're being overrun by all these enemies. But they could. But they could. Um, and the other author that I know who writes in that era is Lynn Curlin, but she does time travel. So it's kind of the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because they're kind of in that era, but they're sort of modern, so they have modern hygiene and they can go back to the, to the present to, you know... They, when they give birth, they'll have proper <laughs> midwives and stuff. They have penicillin. <laughs> yeah. Common gold Benadryl. No, common gold won't kill them. Yeah, but some of those medieval romances, like, um, is it Elizabeth Lowell? I think she wrote some of them too. Elizabeth Lowell wrote a bunch Lowell, of them. yeah. Um, so it's, it's a real find when I discover an old, old, old author, um, and their books still resonate even now. Mm-hmm. I think that your theory is totally dead on. Like, I'm sitting here and my brain's going click, 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 click. Because, yes, you have the, the alpha male and the high stakes and the, everything around you wants to kill you. But instead of it just being, like, you know, germs yeah. and proper hygiene and enemies, yeah. it's, you know, vampires and other worlds. Yeah. And, and even the heroines, you know, they're usually either the virgins, the helpless... They're the brought into who, something they don't understand. They've been yeah, kidnapped yeah. For, the, you know, the ingenue. Ingenue. Yeah. Um, so you know who writes really good books like that? They're almost medieval. But that sort of issue is Maya Banks's Scotland series. Don't like? I was going to say, I've been meaning to try My, Maya Banks, but then you said Scotland series. I'm like, no. I have to think I about am, that. I am not a Scotland romance fan. Okay. I don't like your dinner and your wenches and yeah. your lassies and your crap. And dunas. Dunas are blankets in Australia. So whenever they say duna. Duna. Duna? duna? Yeah. Whenever they say that in a Scottish romance, I'm like, doesn't sound right to No. My, my little blanket? That's not <laughs> yeah. very romantic. But I do not like Scottish romance. I'm not one of the readers who who really gets into that whole um, that whole thing. I don't really like it. And... But she does it well. Her books do the Scottish thing in such a way that it's emotionally compelling. The stakes are very high for all the characters. Like, there's a real reason why there's a problem, but the heroines are not dormants. Yeah. They are in situations where they are not a strategic advantage, but they are also not, like, clueless idiots who, you know... They have the tools to help themselves. Right. Yeah. They're intelligent, oh. and they have a sort of a sense of resilience. So is that her current series, or is this part of her backlist? This is new. There okay. were three last year, and then there's one more one this year. Last year, there were three in a row, 
um, was the red one, the blue one, and the purple <laughs> one, because they're the, the covers are all this couple on a plaid in the background, right? And you don't say plaid, plaid. We do. You say plaid, yeah. right? Well, it's braid that you don't. Braid is a plaid. Plaid. Yes. Like yes. Yeah. So somebody told I had my hair in a braid, and someone was like, "Let me move your plaid." And I was like, "What? I want to move my what? <laughs> oh, my braid." Um, so the, the plaid is a different color on the covers. So I know there's okay. a red one, an orange one, and a blue one. Or a red one, and a blue one, and a purple one. The last three, it was like, never love a Highlander, never kiss a something or other Highlander. They're all really, really good, and the action okay. doesn't stop. Do I have to read them in series? Oh, okay, cool. So I can pick one up on the way home. <laughs> yeah. I have been meaning to try her for a while. I just haven't. Um, speaking of... Um, authors I need to try um we I don't know if you've heard but Australia is in the middle of this sort of explosion of digital publishing um imprints for romance and genre two new ones right well there's Destiny from Penguin there's Mm -hmm. Escape from Harlequin Mm -hmm. and Momentum Books which is the um e-publishing arm of don't let me get this wrong Macmillan I think uh-huh. um, they're not specifically romance but they are genre friendly very right. very genre friendly if you want to sell digital books and make any money you kind of have to be genre friendly yeah give it up if I totally fucked up the cream in this pepper sauce no, that's I'm really, what really, it's like. really sorry okay because I don't usually eat this fries it's relatively with... neat I usually don't eat potato skins with anything other than ketchup so this is a new experience yeah. for me. <laughs> was it good though they're really oh, that's good um yeah, so there's a new um, there's a new release from uh, Momentum called Flesh, mm-hmm. and it's a zombie romance. Although I'm told it's not the zombies actually getting jiggy with it. That's good <laughs> because when the undead get jiggy with it, I get a little squicked out. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. But they're also publishing this um, set of um, e-books. They might be novellas, but e-published work um, called. Oh God, let me get this right. If you don't get it right, I'll correct it. I think it, it's Hot Men Down Under or something. And it's erotic slash romance. And it features some um, well-known erotic romance Australian writers who've previously published under Sam Hain and all those mm-hmm. other sort of inter- uh, US-based um, publishing Digital companies. Digital publishers, right. So that's going to be really interesting, I think, because... Um, you won't see it on blogs, but you'll hear it among authors when they talk, um, when they start comparing the numbers of how they go with an Australian publisher who has world rights, so they'll sell to anyone, but mm-hmm. they're Australia-based, versus an established um, US-based publisher with an established audience. Um, and also, um, um, Australian authors who are not published in e-books, right. who are starting to be to venture into e-books, um, through some of these um, imprints in Australia. so And it's really interesting because they're kind of all open for submission for everything at the moment. And so um, as a reader, I'm kind of waiting to see when they'll settle down and start being more targeted as to where they're going to um, sell books. Because I think Momentum is moving towards... Momentum has a lot of speculative fiction mm-hmm. and then erotic fiction. And Those not are not sure. the same thing. No, and I'm not sure whether the erotic fiction is driven by the demand for Fifty Shades or whether their editors really just like <laughs> the erotic fiction. Well, we all know that we have Australia to blame for Fifty Shades in a lot of ways. Well, that's true. You should say sorry to the world for that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I wrote, but this is the thing. I wrote a post in defense of Fifty Shades. Oh, in defense of the readers who read Fifty Shades. So now I feel like... <laughs> 
can't be snarky to those readers. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel. It's really hard. When, when people love a book that much, like they are absolutely, completely, and utterly apeshit over a book, it is really hard to say, oh, I didn't really like it. I have yeah. a lot of reasons why. Without making that person feel like you think there's something wrong with them. Yeah, exactly. And I know if you liked it, awesome. Go on with your bad self. What's crazy sex? Yes, <laughs> good. But, you know, you can talk about the flaws of it without... Alienating. Denigrating the yeah, readers. And, yeah. I, and if you liked it, awesome. I didn't like it, and I want to know why you liked it as much as I want to think about why I didn't. Yeah. But I also think in a lot of ways, romance readers feel that way. Because if you're a romance reader talking to someone who doesn't read romance, you're either going to hear, all the books are crap, which is not true. Or you're going to hear, oh, I read one, and I really didn't like it. And, you know, it had these really predictable elements. And you start to feel personally criticized because you like someone something that someone doesn't like. And... It can be very difficult not to take yeah. that personally because romance is so intimate. You're dealing yeah. with a very intimate reading experience. So I totally understand that it's hard to talk about Fifty Shades and the things that it gets not so correctly when you don't want to insult the people who loved it because people who loved it loved yeah. it. actually um, discovered her work in, in Australia. The Romance Writers of Australia have their yearly awards. So similar right. to the, um, the readers, Ruby. but we call them the Rubies. Ruby, yeah. yeah. But um, their awards are reader judged. So they have a, a, a database of readers that do the judging and they get sent books and then they score them. And I think I think there's like each book gets um, gets judged five times or something. And I discovered Tara Mabry's books through that process. In so fact, you judge for the rubies? Yeah. So so members of RWA can't judge. So the authors can't judge each other's work. It's got to be readers for non-members. So the RWA doesn't do that. To be an RWA reader judge, you have to have been nominated for a reader. You have to be oh, a, okay. You have to be a member so of the like RWA. It is very much peer review. It is RWA members who do the judging. Um, and it's with other authors who do the RWA read a judging. I don't think I'm eligible to be like a read a judge because I've never been nominated. I'm not sure about that because they keep changing the requirements. <laughs> but it's not outsiders. It's the members of the organization. So I like this system. I think this is very smart. Well, it's, it makes it unpredictable, but it's also great because now I, I've discovered, almost every year I've discovered a new author or, or if I haven't discovered a new author, my pile of books has included an, a book that I discovered that year that I really liked. You would never have encountered otherwise. Yeah, so... Um, one of my favorite um, authors, Melanie Labrui, she writes uh, romantic elements, contemporary fiction romantic elements. I discovered it through there. Sarah Mabry, I discovered through that process. Um, oh, and the other author that I um, that your readers really should know about. <laughs> is, um, Erica Hayes. So Erica Hayes um, wrote this, I think she wrote five, four or five books for Shadow Fae Chronicles. The first mm-hmm. book is, um, it's urban fantasy romance and it does break some romantic conventions. It's um, no. first and third point, third POV, which sounds really strange, but it kind of, it really does work. And it even changes tenses. So I think she does a third past and first present or something, um, but it's, it swaps characters. It sounds demented, but when you read it, it actually just really flows. And I actually asked her once, um, 
whether she made a conscious decision and why she did that. And she's like, oh, I, I just it just seemed to flow better when I did it that way. I really love that series, but it, I don't think it's continuing. And now she's had a she's recently released a an urban fantasy set. I think it's set in Manhattan. So the first series was set in Melbourne, and now it's set in Manhattan with angels. Might be I don't know if they're vampires, but they're definitely zombies. Mm-hmm. Called Revelation, which I'm really excited to read. I haven't read it yet, but I want to read it. She's one of my. I'm like this. I don't know why she's not more popular and more famous. I think because her. It's a little bit quirky her um, her plots and her writing. Um, there are some romance plots when you try to summarize them for somebody. You're like, <laughs> you can't do it. I'm gonna sound like an idiot. You're never <laughs> gonna believe this. Okay, but this is the book. And she has like fairies that are on drugs and yeah, right. Sort of mobsters and so. But I really, she's. Um, I think she's an underrated author who needs to be discovered in a big way. So, who else do you wish that American readers were more aware of that you've experienced? Um, is Kelly Hunter very famous? American? I really love her books. She did these books with um, <laughs> set in Singapore, with these kind of martial arts heroes. And every time you explain it to people, they're just like, "Are you really? serious? You gotta be joking, right?" <laughs> but just the emotional stuff of what she writes, just amazing. I love Bronwyn Parry's books, and I think she's um, she's very interesting. She her first book called As Darkness Falls um, was actually she had told me was originally intended for a US publisher so the way she wrote it was very conscious of the US romance market and then when she couldn't sell it or I'm not sure um, maybe she just decided to branch out she when she shopped it around in Australia she had to change the style because Australia in Australia the biggest genre is crime and so she's got a romantic suspense which is great it straddles both um, and she said that the publish her publisher actually asked her to, if she needed those the sex scenes and the sex scenes in this book is like so tame so tame compared to anything else in romance and I'm like that's really interesting I have thought of that and so now that we've got it's become um, it's getting bigger this the, the crossover in crime and romance in Australia and outback romance does that remind you of home <laughs> a little bit yeah a little bit um, crying and, it happens <laughs> and and um it's interesting to read those books because I think they're romance, but if I gave them to a U.S. reader, I think they would find that there would, was there isn't enough romance in there. Um, but I just I just love her. I think she's an intelligent author. I think she um, her style is still evolving, and her but her latest book I think is quite different from her first book. So I think she needs to be discovered. Anyone else you wish we read more of? Oh, God, I'm going to forget someone. That's okay. You can always email me because I'll just hand it to the end of the entry. (laughs) What I do when I run the podcast is I actually list all the books that we discuss with a buy link so that people can go click and read more. Because people listen to the podcast while they're commuting or while they're working out and they can't write it down, so they just go to the entry and they can find the books that they want to find out more about. So I'll link to all of the books that you mentioned. If I can't find them in a U.S. seller, I'll just look to to something on Australia. Yeah. But... It's really interesting to me how the different perspectives of, of what is a romance vary a little bit between U.S. and Australian readers. It's very frustrating for us because um, I keep having to remind people that if you tell me your um, book is a romance, I, it really needs to end well. I, I, I'm not going to read. That and- makes me insane. <laughs> I've had people say, oh, it's a romance, and then a character dies at the end. I'm like, that's not a goddamn romance. Well, I read the back of the book. 
And then sometimes when people, when I get a review request where I, it looks really interesting, I actually email back and say, you, you, please, you need to tell me what the ending is because I won't be able to. It, I kind of say, it wouldn't be fair to you if I read it and didn't like the ending because I was expecting something different. So, um, but yeah, and, and I don't know whether they're tracking romance as a genre when they do the book stats in Australia. I don't know whether it comes up. Um, and I know that they um, classify romance more broadly. So there are some authors who I think have some love stories in their books, but I would never classify as romance, who actually see themselves as romance authors. Um, so it's a little bit hard because we kind of... Def I define it the way the US market defines it. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to Australians about it, it, it doesn't always... It doesn't always match, match what they consider a romance, yeah. right? Yeah. That must make it really hard for Australian authors, too, because I know there's an Australian romance readership. It's just to reach them and describe I what it is. I think, actually, um, they just... For, for those who write squarely in the romance, romance genre, they basically just bypass the local market. And they, they write for the U.S. market. Yeah, so most of them are U.S. published, and it's only now when we're getting these local imprints that... Um, that they're waking up the, to the fact that there's yeah, a market. Yeah. I remember that when I met Anna Campbell at RWA, I was like, oh, you're Australian. Yeah. <laughs> that was my reaction yeah. to Stephanie Lawrence. Like, <laughs> I didn't even know she was Australian. Oh, yes. But, you know, Anna Campbell is so funny because when you um, see her in person, she's so bubbly and bright. But when you read her books, oh, it's, it's like... Oh, it's not the same. Yeah. We're like, Anna, when are, you gonna, when are you going to write a light, funny, historical yes. romp? She's like... She told me she has one in the cupboard, in the Ooh, in the drawer. But she better get that out of the drawer. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I interviewed her for um, one of the books, and I can't remember which one it was that I put her in, I can't remember. But she told me that I think it's the Everything I Know About Love. I learned from romance novels. She told me that the emotionally crippled and dark, or the, the emotional emotionally damaged characters litter the world of Campbell Land <laughs> they're all very emotionally hurt in some way and that that's sort of her specialty like you read Anna Campbell you're going to have your heart ripped out just be ready yeah except Untouched I find is the exception so whenever I recommend Anna Campbell I recommend that one because mm -hmm. I think it's the best of all her books, that's the one that's most made you cry the least. Well, it's the one most likely to appeal to more readers. More, yeah, yeah, more readers. Whereas everything else, you kind of like claim the courtesan, but it's just that kind of rape scene. Yeah, and, and the interesting the thing about claiming the courtesan is that it, she was really tackling the whole issue of consent head yeah. on. Like she was not shying away from it, and so as a result, the reviews of the book were either extremely complimentary or extremely angry. Yeah. And it was a very divisive book, which is really good for her career, but also really interesting. Yeah, I think it um, spurred a lot of really good discussions. And I really love the fact that she didn't um, sugarcoat the no. fact that it was rape no. and that it was really rape. I didn't like the way it all got res I didn't think he um, groveled enough. I don't think he earned her back either. Yeah. I, don't, but, I don't think he did enough to But the strength of that back. rape scene, I think, was really, really powerful. Yeah. And I think that his moving from recognizing her as an object of his sexual desire to recognizing her as an object of his emotional desire um, and, and how he went from denying his emotions to accepting them and moving from obsession to regard, that was a really important distinction to make. And so that scene 
highlighted the lack yeah. of the hero, but at the same time, it's really difficult to read. Yeah. And given the romance that was published at that time, it was kind of unexpected. Yeah. And that was really different. Well, I think because um, at the time, we everyone had kind of, um, everyone was in kind of agreement that rape in romance is, you know, we don't really do that unacceptable. Anymore. Yeah, we don't do that So the anymore. fact that it's an author dared device. to do it, yes, um, and even though she did it in a, an unforgiving way in terms of how we see the hero, it's still kind of really shocking that anyone would even put that into paper in, in this yes. day and age. Yes, and so. that and that he was the hero. Yeah. Like we had to accept him as the hero. Yeah. I personally wanted to light him on fire. Yeah, yeah. And that, that scene was so disturbing when I was reading it. I was like, I, I was... At the, simultaneously going, I can't believe she's writing such um, a powerful, honest scene, and thinking, I don't know how I'm I can bear en- to read. Like it's like you're I'm witnessing. Not it. Yeah, it. that's right. I'm really exactly. not enjoying this, but wow, that's amazing. I'm but, really and not hey, it. I should um, um, mention this other author. She's not a romance author, but her name's Chrissy Neen, K N E E N, and she wrote this book called Triptych um, as part of. I think it's a part of her PhD. Right. Um, and. It features three romances um, with taboo subjects. And I think Jessica from Read React Review, I sent her a copy and she reviewed it. <laughs> and it's so interesting because the author actually calls it porn, whereas everybody calls it erotica because it's kind of literary. She's like, it's really porn, but okay. And then um, the first one features um, um, like a chat roulette type situation. The second one features bestiality and the third one features incest and it's oh my goodness so it's really this taboo thing that she writes in an erotic way and um it's it's quite well received in the literary world where you know kind of erotica in literary um circles tends to they tend to like those really out there confronting things um but when you look at the stories, there's like a, a, a layer of romance that underlies each story as well. So it was really interesting to read them to see what sort of what 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 in the romance you can accept without accepting the premise of you know a brother and a sister together or this girl who has sex with an octopus. <laughs> oh gracious! <laughs> it sounds really bad, but when you read it, it's her, her writing is so seductive that you're kind of there before you realize. Holy crap! What am I reading? You mm-hmm. know. So she's. I think she's um, quite a brave author. Not in the romance genre, but it kind of intersects with erotica. Um, and I don't think she'll. I. I, I can't see her um, being popular overseas mm-hmm. um, simply because her work is just so out there. But I think she's. Um, she's an underrated author. And I just like emotional honesty. Yes. So the things like the rape scene with Anna Campbell, it was so honest. And even if when you're disgusted by what the hero is doing to the heroine, it's like you can imagine that you understand if this that that's happened happening. to someone, this is what they would be. The, at least this the is not out of character for that character. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that's what I look for in a book either, as well. And when people talk about oh, you know, romances that are badly written, it's full of stereotypes, it's full of stuff. And I always tell them, you know, we don't actually... We actually read despite that stuff because the really good romances, you might just love them for one scene, but that one scene is so powerful and it's so emotionally um, um, honest that you, it's like it stays with you and yes. it, it, you really connect with it. 
So, and I don't think many people who don't people who don't read romance, I don't think they really understand how that works for the people who do read romance. So, no, I don't think they do either. I'm like, you know, there's a reason I read J.R. Ward, and it's not because she's the best writer out there. It's just that sometimes she just writes these scenes that are just so, so like just take you on an emotional journey, and for that alone, you will keep reading just to find the next one and, and connect with the next character. And I think readers continue to seek out that emotional experience they have with one author, even if the author lets them down to a certain degree. Yeah. They'll, see, they'll keep going back because they remember that one scene, that moment, yeah. that experience. But sometimes I don't even remember the scene. I just remember that I felt something yeah. really good. I don't know what it was that you yeah. wrote, but you did a thing that I liked. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Because I'm really bad at remembering titles, characters, um, That's why there's the Habo feature. It's my whole life. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember well, anything. Well, you know, some readers have spreadsheets, but I'm too lazy for spreadsheets. My, my, my blogging motto is laziness is... Um, rules everything yes so, <laughs> so actually i started blogging about books to record what i've read so you more than remember. anything else yeah um I but, have a um, very tired child yeah. right there um and if not for the blog i mean and goodreads i would not remember half of what i've read when I was a teenager, I used to laugh at my mum because my mum would go, I've read that book, but I don't remember what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how can you read a book and not remember what happens? And yep. I used to read lots of Mills and Boons, and I like to think that I remembered everything, but now I'm like, I don't remember what I read last week. I don't remember it at all. I don't remember. I remember books that give me the goosebump tingle of, oh my goodness, like I'm going to remember Julianne Long, How the Marquess Was Won, on the plane. I'm going to remember that. Do you reread? Do you have time to reread? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do reread some. What I find is that if I'm reading a paper book, I remember the page, left or right, top or bottom, about how far into the book, inch-wise, sorry, centimeter-wise, how far I was into the book, and I remember the scene, I'll go find it. With a digital book, it's hard for me to remember, but I'll remember a word. So I'll dip into a book and look for that word and then read that scene. Or if there's something about a, a particular character that I remember and want to reread, I'll Google or I'll search for a word in the book that I know, and I'll go reread the scene. If I, There are some books that I will reread over and over like I've read Patricia Briggs Alpha and Omega series I haven't read that oh. it's one of those ones where there are lots of books in the series so I need to kind of pace no the Mercedes Thompson has a lot of books I think Alpha and Omega now has three oh so that's and not too bad or, no, there's three books in a novella I'm pretty sure maybe it's three books and two novellas but it's really good like I it is Cry Wolf I have probably reread like is that romance? Yes. Okay. It is a lot of paranormal action. The The novella that sets up the story was published before, but you can read Cry Wolf and then go back to okay. the novella, Alpha and Omega. Or you can read Alpha and Omega, which gets immediately before Cry Wolf starts. Okay. And you get a bigger sense of some of the characters, but you can read Cry, Cry Wolf without having read it. I did that. Cry Wolf is about Anna, who is an Omega wolf. And Charles, who is the enforcer, the assassin for his father, and his father is the North American pack leader, every werewolf pack in the States is, a, is loyal to him. And every pack has alphas and betas. The omega is outside the pack structure, and the omega brings peace. Okay. Because the omega is, is all of the strength of the alpha without the need to dominate, and is the peace and tranquility of the beta without being submissive and when she is turned she is forcibly turned against her will which is against the rules and she's in a really horrible situation and charles is sent 
to um, to find out what's going on with her pack and the Charles's father, who's the North American Alpha, is the one that Anna contacts to tell him what's going on with the pack and why she thinks something's wrong. So when Charles meets her, he his wolf immediately recognizes her as someone he wants to be with. And her wolf responds. But as people, they don't know each other. And she has been abused very badly, and so she doesn't trust anyone. Right. So her wolf, the, the part of her that's the wolf, is like, yeah, he's with him. Awesome. Yeah. And as a person, she's like, no. I love that. I don't know. I am not okay with this. It's the yeah. love that you make. What are you doing? And so she has to trust him, and she doesn't want to. Um, he has... He is really old. He's really, really old, and she's really young, wolf-wise. And he doesn't particularly ever think that he was going to be with anybody. And now he's just sort of like, well, you know, wolf, yeah. <laughs> but my wolf thinks she's the bomb. And he also recognizes that she is in a very, very difficult position. And when he realizes the, sco- has the scope of what's happened to her, he is so respectful of her boundaries. Like, she doesn't know anything about the proper way of doing things and he could totally take advantage but his moral center is so strong and his sense of what is and is not appropriate because he's the assassin of the, of the pack is so concise and, and set that his moral core will not allow him to take advantage of her and he so this is cry wolf did you say cry wolf. Cry wolf. it is like whoa that was amazing when you finished I it. love that because I think um, where romance might be evolving now um, is um, um, it's interesting uh, a few months ago there's a site there's a blog challenge that um, popped up in Australia called the Australian Women Writers Challenge um, uh, in response to you know all that media attention on the fact that women writers don't really get reviewed they don't get um, you know they get bypassed for prizes for no good reason so uh, one of the um, series of posts that they did was on feminism and romance and whether romance is feminist or not and I think one of the things that I like about where romance is heading is the fact that we're starting to get more of these heroes who who are alpha and who have that sort of yummy take charge attitude. Yes. But they allow the women, or not allow, but they recognize that the women also need to be able to make their decisions to yes. um, be able to, to dictate the course yes. of their lives. Almost as if they're alpha. And they want other people to have the opportunity yeah. to be a, an alpha as well. Yeah. Not and to that challenge um, them, yeah, but exactly. to give them a sense of themselves. Yeah, and that they're not always just taking the decisions away from the heroines. Because I think that's, after you read a lot of romance, that's where the first frustration um, comes from, is when you start to realize, hang on a second, um, I enjoy the emotional feelings that I get when I read these books, but... You know, these guys are idiots. They're dickheads. Yes, they're assholes. Yeah, and and surely there's a way where they can have when when the, where the author can elicit those um, feelings from the reader and not make the, and and still have a guy who is yeah. someone that in real life you're not going to want to punch in the face, basically. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, and I think a lot of um, I think in category ro- category romance um, in contemporary category romance you find quite a few of those. Um, Sarah yeah. Mabry, Kelly Hunter, they write really good um, characters where the power oh, Kelly balance Hunter. isn't. I it. loved her book. <laughs> loved her books. She's lovely in real Especially twist, the one that was set too. in the dojo in Singapore. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. Renegade? Um, something? I think it's called Red Hot Renegade and her Singapore fling in the US. Yes. I read it as Red Hot Renegade because I read a copy that was gifted to me, but I think it was gifted to me through Mills and Boone, but yeah. Red Hot Renegade was what I read. 
And Red Hot Renegade versus Hersting of Poor Fling illustrates an enormous <laughs> difference. Know. Those are two very different titles. Yeah. But I love this whole... Um, am I really reading, like, this Karate Kid um, oh, character? Yes. And then it's, like, it's really good. Oh. <laughs> like, that's one of the books. That that's one of those books that was so good, I remember the setting before I read it. Like, I remember where I was reading that book, and I remember when I finished it, and I looked around and was like, wow. Wow, that was amazing. And it was so, it was so, it had such an impact on me that I remembered the book and then where I was. That's the one with the ex-wife, or the estranged ex- wife, right? Estranged yeah. wife comes back to the dojo. Because I also read the one about the Which brother who was like a bomb. Back to the dojo. And, yeah. I love the, um, we had this uh, library event that they asked me to curate, and it was called Raunchy Romance Story Time, yeah. where um, they had an up late event at the library, and they invited three professional um, actors, performers, to read excerpts out of romance slash erotic romance books so i chose one of the scenes from kelly hunter's book that's really cool Um, yeah and it was the scene where she comes down for breakfast and he's looking at her and he's like she's been doing something naughty in my bed and she's it was just so so funny yeah we did we had a kinsale megan hart we had tamara allen's um whistling in the dark um i don't know if you've read that it's a beautiful book um, Bronwyn Parry's As Darkness Falls. We had a couple that we ran out of time and couldn't read. Um, That's a brilliant idea. But it was a Having really great event. actors. And they, they really, it was really different when it's professionally, when it's spoken out loud. Because authors reading their own work can be oh, And you know what else we did? We did a Shannon Stacy. It's a, um, a short story she wrote for Elora's Cave way before she became popular for the Kowalski series. And it featured this... Um, alien ambassador robot who um, started watching porn in her hotel room and thought yeah I'd like some of that and so the porn um, film that she was watching had an electrician in it so she goes to the yellow pages or whatever it was calls up an electrician asking for you know service (laughs) the electrician's like are you serious lady and so she turns up but um, she turns up and you know expects Nookie. What electricians yeah. do in porn movies. So, And then that kind of goes from there. But it was hilarious. The guy who was reading it, PJ Lane, he he did it in the style of Russell Crowe. <laughs> and it was so, so, so funny. So it was really That's good. That's a really good evening. Do you get to drink yeah. in libraries in Australia? Because that would be a good drinking event, have um, wine and wine and I don't and know whether they had wine. They might have had wine That's and brilliant. cheese. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I, I don't think drinking is banned in many places in Australia. In Australia yeah, it's kind of a drinking culture. <laughs> yeah. Wine club can meet at the library with no problem. Yeah. So before I wrap up, is there anything that you would like to say or to American readers and writers who are listening? Is there anything that you wish that people would understand about Australian romance readers? Um, I think we are somewhat different, uh, the readership in Australia. We um, have a lot of cross-genre readers. Um, We don't really have... Our expectations of what constitute a romance are probably not as um, narrowly defined as the US market. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of good for our authors because it allows them to um, introduce plots, characters, settings that will not, will, won't, um, won't be acquired in the US basically. Yeah. And I'm so excited about Destiny Romance from Penguin, Harlequin Escape and Momentum Books from Macmillan because 
I think that's where the authors who are writing niche sort of um, stories can thrive in. And I know really invite actually um, um, overseas readers to try those works out because I think it's something different from what they... Yeah. um, they're getting now especially the ones who kind of complain that they're getting the same old stuff all the time yeah it'll be very different well i hope i'm hoping escape hasn't released their first um set of titles yet but i know momentum is quite different to what um we get from everywhere else simply because they're not a specialized romance publisher so i think that works against them because they don't get the niche audience but it works for them in terms of being able to branch out into different things and try new things so really hope that they buy from them. And that's all for this week's podcast. I appreciate you waiting through a slight delay for the newest episode. It was supposed to be out two weeks ago, but I was flying to Australia and then there was a hurricane and um, yeah, I got a little behind. So sorry about that. I hope this episode makes up for it. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I had a really good time talking to Kat and I want to thank her for sitting down with me. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater and I think that's her on the fiddle. This is Fiddler on the Loose. And I believe that's her on the fiddle and another friend on the piano. She's pretty badass, right? There is another update here from our sponsor, Harlequin. It makes it sound like I'm sitting in a newsroom. Harlequin news. And now Harlequin news. Yay! You can stay up to date on your favorite authors and new releases with updates from harlequin.com. Sign up at harlequin.com slash newsletters. And between you and me, I'll tell you something. If you sign up for some of the Harlequin newsletters every now and again, they have a sale on their website and they let you know about it. Like all of these types of books are 45% off, which is pretty damn awesome. Future podcasts will include Jane and me talking about romance novels. I haven't planned any yet. I'm still in Australia. I don't even know what day it is, really. I think it's Friday. I think it's Friday, but it's Thursday. And the, the, seriously, guys, the crossing the dateline has messed with my head. I'm not going to be back to normal until December. But I know that we're going to record podcasts, and we're going to talk about romance novels, because that's what we do here. If you have any ideas or you'd like to give us some feedback, you can contact us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll also have links to all of the books we talked about, plus links to Kat's website, because you should read it. Especially if you want to discover new authors, because she finds authors that I would otherwise never have encountered. And, as usual, wherever you are, I hope you are warm and dry and safe, and I hope you are enjoying the very best of reading. Thank you.